Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Our mission is simple, to bring those who are far from God close to Him. People are our heart, and Jesus is our message. Together, we go into the night, fearlessly taking the gospel into every space of our society. Stay up to date with our community by subscribing to this podcast. All right, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into it today. We are in part three of a collection, and I want to read about 10 verses, and then I'm going to preach what the Lord has spoken for me to share to you. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time. Someone say a second time. A second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time. Someone say a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Uh, I wanna talk today, uh, I've titled today's sermon, God Gets Anxiety. God Gets Anxiety anxiety. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that today, God, it's the foundation of our life. We thank you that we can build upon it. So Lord, build our lives today. May this not be some sort of religious gathering, but may this be a moment, Lord, that you transform us, that you build us, that we would look more like Jesus as we walk out of this place. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Everybody said? Come on, at all of our locations, can we make a little bit of noise in God's house today? We like a loud church. Today, we are in part three of uh, this simple little collection that I've been preaching entitled Christ in Crisis. Uh, the subtitle really kind of tells you what it's all about. The God who understands us more than we know. And what we're learning is that in seasons of pain, trauma, and crisis, that God is not distant, that God is not just watching down from heaven with his arms crossed, but rather like the psalmist said, God is close to the brokenhearted, that he shows up in our crisis, that he understands our crisis. Uh, it seems to me that the more and more I talk to people, it doesn't really matter who I'm talking to, young people, old people, uh, male and female, people who've accomplished a lot, people who are just getting started in life, 
it seems to me the more and more I talk with people that there is this extreme, on, the, on one hand, this extreme anxiety on maybe like on the smaller scale, at least a low grade kind of mild always there anxiety. I don't know if you've experienced this just talking to people. It just, it just doesn't leave people. It just seems like there's a level of worry, a concern. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, if you haven't noticed. Uh, turn the news on at night and you will see all of the uncertainty in the world. Where are we headed? Where are we going? What's happening? What are we facing? Um, there's uncertainty in the economy. Uh, we're in a recession. What's going on? Do I invest? Uh, is my business going to be okay? Um, there's political uncertainty. People uh, continue to be divided through the areas of politics. Uh, it's a scary day when Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson both lose their job in the same day. That's weird. Um, AI, that's a weird deal. That's weird, bro. It, like, how much longer till we just show up to church and it's just chat GPT preaching to y'all? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just... When I talk to people, all of these things are compounding to create this level of uncertainty, this concern about the future. To put it mildly, people are stressed out. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Holmes stress scale. It takes 43 different items that people can walk through and it puts a score to these areas. And then you're supposed to go through all 43 questions, and then if your score totals more than 300, you could be possibly uh, in a spot that you could have serious illness. And on the score test, there's all sorts of things, from death of a spouse to divorce to death of a close friend, major business adjustment, um, outstanding personal achievement, in, in trouble with the law, uh, a son or daughter leaving home, marriage, pregnancy, major holidays, What's interesting about the stress scale is that when you read it and you start going through all of the items, not everything on the scale is a bad thing. Some of which are good things. Some of the things on the stress scale are blessings. One of the areas that I've had to learn in life talking with my counselor is that many times I can be experiencing some form of anxiety, some area where I'm anxious, but as we begin to look at my life and my situation and my scenario, there isn't some apparent threat. Instead, it's actually good things. William Shakespeare said it this way. He said, um, not everything that glitters is gold. My counselor says it this way. Not everything that scares is a bear. Many times we need an outside voice to look into our story, to look into our situation and say, calm down, it's not a bear. What you'll learn about your brain and what you'll learn about your life is that many times it's not the thing that you're going through, but instead it's the way you think about the thing. It's the way I'm thinking about the thing. So I can even be having positive things like, I'm renovating my backyard right now. That's a blessing. But with it, it's creating stress that as I'm going through life, it can create a worry and a fear about the future. I don't know if you're anything like me, but this concern for the future really comes down to this one word called control. 
When I think about the future, when I think about AI, when I think about the recession, I just feel totally out of control. And so what do people try to do? They, they try to take control and they try to get control. But what you'll learn about control is that control is a false reality. There is no such thing. In fact, taking control cripples you. It does not calm you. You and I were designed not to take control, but we were designed to surrender and trust God in every season, in every situation. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The only thing worry changes is your blood pressure. <laughs> Jesus spoke this 2,000 years ago. He's saying that you don't have enough capacity to worry about tomorrow. When you start worrying about tomorrow and the unknown, all that's going to produce is an anxiety. All that's going to do is produce a fear about the future. It will not calm you, it will cripple you. Instead, you must focus on the day that you are in because it's only in the day that you're in that you have grace for this moment. I believe each and every one of us, we must apply the Bible's principles to our everyday lives. The Apostle Paul, he suggested for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, he says this. He says, we are to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It might not be what you're going through is the problem. It might simply be the way you're thinking about what you're going through. When it comes to anxiety, you have to address the ants. You ever had ants in your pants? <laughs> Two weeks ago, we were having my brother-in-law's rehearsal uh, dinner for his wedding, and I was wearing these like slacks, and I was getting ready to go to this beautiful restaurant with some of our, uh, our, our family and very, very close friends, and I'm standing in my driveway, and I didn't know it, but I stood in an ant pile. And so I get in the car, and I make my way over to this beautiful restaurant. I sit down. It's the most beautiful setting. Everyone's there. It's like the most charming environment, but all throughout the dinner, I'm having a hard time being in the present because I'm getting these little bites on my legs. I'm being bitten in places I can't tell you about. I'm like, what in the world? And all the while, this beauty's happening around me, but I've got little ants genuinely in my pants to the point that I had to go into the restroom, remove my pants, and address the ants in my pants. Why? Because these little tiny ants were robbing me from the beauty of the moment. You might not have ants in your pants, but you might have ants in your brain. Psychologists would say that ants are automatic negative thoughts. And some of us, we do not address the ants in our brain that we have these automatic negative little thoughts that show up time and time again and it removes us from being in the present. It takes us out of today. It makes us focus on tomorrow and it stops all of the blessing and all of the beauty that's happening around us. Today, we have to address the ants. We have to remove the automatic negative thoughts. The ants don't just go away by themselves. 
you have to remove them. You have to take them captive and make them obedient to Jesus. What's amazing about Jesus is that when you study his life, his thinking was never clouded with ants. He didn't have like this automatic negative thinking. Uh, he firmly, in Matthew chapter 26, knows the outcome. It's not a question about what the outcome of his situation is going to be. Most of us, the things that we worry about will never even occur. But for Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, he has good reason to be anxious. He has good reason to be concerned. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's approaching, he's close to the cross. And all of it hits him at once. Yet despite the fact that he knows his outcome, he still gives you and I a pathway to move forward in peace. We can follow what Jesus does in the garden and we too can find help in our time of anxiety. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, then Jesus with his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Watch this, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus gets his 11 disciples. Judas is missing because he's actually on his way to betray him. He has 11 of them. He takes eight of them and says, you stay right here. Then he takes three more, Peter, James, and John, goes a little bit further, and then he places them right here, and he says, I'm gonna go over there, I'm gonna pray. And the Bible says that as he begins to cry out to God, before he does it, he looks at his friends, and this is the description that he gives them. He says that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I want you to see the pressure. I want you to see the amount of stress that's on the life of Jesus. Luke's gospel would tell us that in that garden, he sweats drops of blood. Now, Luke was a physician. It's just like the physician to give us a medical condition of Jesus. It's called hematidrosis, where you can be so overwhelmed, you can have so much pressure on you that scientifically speaking, you can actually begin to have capillaries burst in your head and you can begin to sweat drops of blood. This is in the text to show you about a God who understands all of your pressure, all of your concern, all of your anxiety. Here's Jesus in the garden sweating drops of blood find it fascinating that Jesus, we know him as the second Adam. Remember the first Adam, that's the first man created. Remember he failed the temptation test in the garden. It's the second Adam who passes the temptation test in the garden. The first Adam, his failure, what was the curse? The curse was is that he was going to sweat from his brow and go back into the earth. Right here in Matthew 26, we are watching Jesus reverse the curse because Jesus, the first place he bleeds in the Bible is from his brow as if to say, I have come to redeem and reverse the curse. Not just that, 
I think Jesus sweats from his brow because he's trying to encourage you and he's trying to encourage me. My blood is so powerful that it can redeem and restore even your mental health. You don't have to live in worry. You don't have to live in anxiety. I've already conquered it and I'm showing you a path forward. Somebody give God some praise today. You don't have to live stressed out. You don't have to live anxious. You don't have to live worried. Jesus bled from his brow to redeem you and to wash you clean. Jesus, <laughs> I think it's safe to say, is having a supernatural anxiety attack. Overwhelmed, overflowing with sorrow. Death sounds better than this moment right now. Have you ever been there? I know this is a serious talk, but have you ever been there? I'm not talking about suicidal thoughts. I'm talking about sober ones. What I have to carry and what I have to do, it would be easier if I was dead than having to face this moment. I don't think Jesus is suicidal. I think he's being honest with where he is. Carrying this cross and what I'm about to have to go through, this is excruciating. This is massive. This isn't the only time in the Bible that we see things like this, where, where dying almost feels like an easier route. The Apostle Paul knew all about this. It was the Apostle Paul who said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What's he saying? He's saying life is difficult. What I must do is hard and dying would be an upgrade from this difficult life. Life's hard. Life is uncertain. And there comes these moments where there's pressure that hits our life. Jesus understands that pressure. The scripture says that he goes a little farther, verse 39, and he fell to his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now I want to show you a very simple outline. Most of the time when I preach, you just follow the verbs in the text. You just follow the observations, and with it, before you know it, there becomes a plan and a message. I, I, I want to start quickly by showing you that Jesus gives a command when we're anxious, when we're in crisis. We're going to look at the command, and then we're going to close by looking at the model and the pattern of how he prayed, because I believe we can watch how Jesus prayed in our moments of anxiety, and we too can find the peace that we need to prevail. Let's get the command. Jesus is pouring his heart out to God and he comes back to find his friends and disciples asleep. Can you, can you imagine that for a moment? Like you are, you are hours away from your excruciating death and you just, you just ask these guys, can you just stay awake, bro? And, and he comes back and dudes are sleeping. I preached last week when people let you down. Jesus knows about being let down. Guys, what's up here? Uh, I'm about to die for you. All I'm asking is that you stay awake for me. But he gets there and they are sleeping and he wakes them up and he gives this clear command. In fact, I believe this clear command, he says, watch and pray. Everyone say watch. Everyone say pray. Let's do it again. Everyone at the city, everyone at Design District, everyone verbally engaged. Everyone say watch. 
Everyone say pray. Watch and pray. Why? So you do not fall into temptation. The flesh, the body is weak even though the spirit is willing. So Jesus gives a command when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to quit. How does the enemy tempt us? He tempts us by lying to our mind. And Jesus says, this is the command I give you. Anybody who's dealing with uncertainty, stress, fear, or worry, watch and pray. This is the one-two punch to defeating anxiety. This is using both of your hands to fight. Watch and pray. He says, you got to pray. Like, please understand that prayers simply birthed out of emotion are good, but prayers that only come from feelings will not be enough. We must make prayer our habit. It's got to be a part of our lifestyle. You've got to pray about everything. Many times I think people are anxious about everything because they pray about nothing. We have to make prayer a part of our habit and our lifestyle. Why is that? It's because my spirit, my spirit's willing, but my body, this flesh, is weak. And so if I'm only going to rely upon praying when I feel like it, this body's going to give out. And when the enemy comes and lies to me about the future, I'm going to give in. Therefore, I must make it a discipline to pray. Occasional prayers receive occasional answers. But consistent prayers receive consistent provision. Prayer is a weapon in the hand of a believer. I know there's somebody right now watching online, they're like, dude, this is all you got, bro. That's so cliche. Says the guy who doesn't pray. Says the critic who's never put it into application. Prayer is a weapon. We're going to talk about it more in a moment, but notice it's a one-two punch. Some of us were fighting the enemy with one hand tied behind our back because Jesus didn't just say pray. He said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Why is that? It's because prayer isn't preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. But watching sets itself apart from prayer, that watching is all about preparation. If prayer is offense, watching is defense. And to the Miami Heat, who's about to win a championship, I I don't always prophesy, but when I do, it's about our sports teams. They say defense wins championships. Defense wins championships. It's the fundamentals. Defense wins championships. Prayer is fighting and offense, but, but, but watching is all about preparation and playing defense. I said it this way. Praying without watching is like fighting without a strategy. It's like fighting without a strategy. Because the idea of watching is understanding that you and I are going to come under attack that we must discover all the way from Genesis 4 when the enemy goes and tempts Cain or even Genesis 3 when he tempts Adam all the way into 1 Peter, the enemy over and over again is likened to a lion who is roaming around the earth looking to pounce upon someone. 
You can't just stay in your prayer closet. You have to open up your eyes and you have to be alert. You have to stand your guard. You have to be in to learn to hear the Spirit's voice, how he's leading you, where he's guiding you, what is he saying? And that's all about watching. I'm watching, I have a strategy. The Lord's telling me to move, the Lord's telling me to stay. I'm watching, I'm on my guard. I know attacks are coming, I know the enemy's going to lie to me, but the fact that I watch helps me defend his lies. This is what we're called to do. We're not just called to pray, we're called to watch and pray. If you watch boxers fight, the thing with a boxer is, is that when they inflict pain upon someone or they injure someone, what they will do is they will continue to hit the weak area. This is why boxers need trainers. Because when you go to the corner and you're in the fight and you're sitting there in the corner, the trainer starts telling you, yo, you're weak in your ribs or you're, you gotta cover your nose, it's broken. And so you have to defend the weak area. We need men and women in our life that can point out the weak areas that we might open our eyes and watch so we can protect ourselves from the enemy. See, when I'm watching, it doesn't necessarily lessen the blow of the enemy, but it helps me prepare for the blow, which can alter the impact. You see, it's the punch that I could not defend that knocks me out. Some of us, we just keep falling down. It's not that you're not strong enough to take that punch. It's not that you're not strong enough to handle that pressure or to handle that anxiety. It's that you're not watching. You're fighting with no strategy. We must watch and pray. Be on your guard. Be alert. Start playing defense. Many of us are asleep to the tactics of the enemy. That's what the disciples were doing. They were sleeping. We sang a song as we opened up church day. Wake up, sleeper. Because hopefully when you come into God's house every Sunday morning, I know your alarm clock might have gone off early this morning, but I pray that when you come into God's house, a spiritual alarm clock would go off, that in your spirit you would wake up, that you would be alert and on guard watching. Watching that the enemy wants to take you out, that he wants to hurt you, that he wants to destroy your family, but you have to watch and pray, defense and offense. Jesus will do the dying, but you and I, we have to do the living. And when you're asleep, you're not alive. Jesus died that we might have life. Jesus is like, I'm going to a cross in just a few hours. The least you could do is wake up and live your life. Someone say live. You gotta live your life. You gotta wake up and watch. We can't be asleep to what God is doing. We've gotta wake up and be alert and be sober-minded. Yes, the enemy is roaming around like a lion, but I got good news. I serve the lion of the tribe of Judah, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now that I know your tactic, I know how to defend myself. The enemy wants to put lies into your brain and he wants to tempt you to get off of your post that you would live anxious, worried, and afraid. Uncertain about tomorrow. But Jesus already told me the answer. I can't take care of tomorrow today. I gotta live today. I've gotta wake up right now. Yesterday is in the past. Tomorrow may never come. I gotta live today. Today is the gift. Today is the present. And today in the present is where the power is. Somebody give God some praise in this place. Don't 
Gethsemane. Hey guys, watch and pray. Watch and pray. You need both. You need both. Some people just, just watch. You know those people. Everything's a conspiracy. Everything's a Facebook post. I want to be like, that's good you're watching. Maybe take that into the prayer closet. Because that's where we wage war. In the prayer closet. Watch and pray. Jesus gives us command, but now watch Jesus. I think this is so helpful for me. It's really encouraged me this past week. I'm believing it's going to encourage you. I never just come up here with just empty words. I try to really, really wrestle with God about what it is that I'm supposed to get to you. And so the stuff that I'm preaching, the stuff that I'm applying, it's I get high on my own supply if I can. That's what I think Biggie said that, okay? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that works in all churches, but it works in this church. Okay. Jesus, watch this. He blazes a trail for us to follow. This past summer, I was um, in Montana on a family vacation, and uh, we got to do uh, Glacier National Park, and uh, we went hiking one day, and we were some friends, and they're like, well, if you like all this hiking, you guys need to come back one time and go to the Bob Marshall uh, Wilderness. I said, what's the Bob Marshall Wilderness? And they started to describe this place that I'm not sure I do want to go to, um, but the Bob Marshall Wilderness is just acres and acres, miles and miles and miles of untouched land. And there's rules to preserving the land. The biggest rule being that nothing that has a gear, nothing that's motorized is allowed into the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Um, if you don't want to walk in the wilderness, you can get a mule. But you can't take a four-wheeler. You can't take anything motorized. And because of that, you can imagine that much of the wilderness is overgrown. Uh, for any amateur hiker, it can be difficult to make their way through it. So what happens is, is that men and women uh, that are more accomplished in hiking, men and women that are more charitable or generous, if you might add, they're known as trail workers. And what a trail worker is, is somebody who goes in with a, a hacksaw or a hatchet, and they go into the wilderness, and they begin to clear pathways, and they make trails so that people can make their way through the wilderness. They're called trail workers. Some would say trail workers. See, your perspective in life rules your peace in life. Some of you, you're only focused on the trial, but maybe today what your trial is missing is a trail. So similar in words, just one letter off. One is T-R-I-A-L. The other is T-R-A-I-L. Every one of us in our trial, we need a trail out. The trial makes you feel like you're all alone, that nobody understands you, that you're lost. But the trail reminds you that you have been found, that you are discovered, that there is a path home. Some of us, we're here today in our anxiety, and we're in our worry, and we're going, God, I need a map out. God, give me a map. But better than a map, you have the map giver. You have the greatest trail worker who ever lived. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's blazed a trail through anxiety, worry, and pressure. And he shows you how to get out. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation, no lie from the enemy has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
Meaning everything you're going through right now today, I know it's crazy. AI, political unrest, what is happening in the earth, but there's not one temptation that we are up under against today that other people in history haven't walked and faced. And God is faithful. Someone say, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, here it is, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let me give you the Voo Church translation. When you're in a trial, Jesus is going to make a trail so that you can get out. He's gone before you, he walks beside you, and he is behind you. He's the trail worker. This is what he does over and over and over again. We wouldn't know what love was if the trail worker hadn't first loved us. We couldn't forgive those who hurt us unless he created a trail by showing us how to forgive. We couldn't learn to be still in our storm unless we had a trail worker who slept in a storm. We couldn't find peace in the anxiety without the trail worker who didn't quit in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we couldn't handle the pressure of tomorrow unless the trail worker left the garden and showed us how to carry our cross. Come on, at all of our locations, can we go ahead and give Jesus the great trail worker a round of applause? What's Jesus' big plan to handle the pressure that's before him? What's his big solution? What's his really cool new idea? What's well, none of those things? What Jesus does is something that we all have access to. Jesus decides to pray. I'm not saying that one prayer will change everything about your life. What I am saying is that a habit of prayer makes a massive difference. Many of us want peace without prayer. We want peace without a perspective shift. No, friend, your trial has a trail. Follow Jesus. So Jesus prays in that garden, and I see two things that I think should show up in our moments of anxiety when we pray. Two patterns to his prayer, a model for prayer from the garden. If you're in a battle today, if you find yourself dealing with pressure, dealing with the overwhelming responsibility of life, how am I going to raise these kids? How am I going to pay these bills in this recession? How do I continue to follow Jesus with all of the culture wars going on? How do I stand my ground and not give in to the ways of this world? How do I do so with love and kindness? It just feels like so much pressure. Look to the trail worker, the one who forges a path forward and notice his prayer life. The first part about his prayer life is that it's honest. Everyone say honest. Jesus is in the garden in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. My father, if it's possible, I love this prayer. May this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He's asking, first and foremost, for the cup to be removed. Now, if you're new to church, you've never been to a gathering like this, you're like, cup, what is this language he speaks of? What is the cup? Well, in the Old Testament, the cup over and over again represented the wrath of God. Isaiah 51 verse 7, here it is. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Again, in Psalm 75 verse 8, in the hand of the Lord 
is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked on the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As you read in the book of Revelation, you'll see seven bowls or seven cups of wrath being poured out. What is causing Jesus to stagger in the garden? It's not just the brutality and, and the misery of the cross. It is the very wrath of God. He knows that awaits him. He knows that he's going to be punished, not for his sins, but for our sins. This is why the garden is one of these places that Jesus' humanity is on full display. It's not just this physical assault. It's something much deeper. It's the cup. I love Jesus. He just shows us something so healthy. He's just honest. Hey, anyway, I don't have to drink from this cup. Some of us are on like these, like, I don't know, like holy wars. Like, here's Jesus, the God man, but he's showing you something that he's so healthy. Because many times we come to God and we're not honest in our prayer life. I think it's very, it's totally okay to come to God and say, God, you know, um, can you take the stress away? God, can you remove the fear? God, just take away the anxiety. God, I don't want to have to deal with that betrayal. God, I don't want that problem at work. Like, be honest. God loves your honesty. And I'm not just making it up. That's what Jesus does. I mean, just think about this. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain since the foundations of the earth. There was always one plan, Jesus, to die on a cross so that humanity could be saved. And now after 33 years of living on the human journey, he's there in the garden. He's like, ah, anyway, we don't have to do it. He's always known this was the only way, but he's honest to express how I'm feeling. Sometimes the first step to changing your feelings is being honest about your feelings. Just being honest. God can take it away. I love it. In this honest prayer, may this cup be taken from me. The scripture says in Luke chapter 22, this is the same story, but from Luke's approach, Luke says, an angel from a heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. See, honest prayers bring supernatural strength. Honest prayers in the natural bring supernatural strength in the spirit. When you start praying honestly to God, I believe that he will strengthen you. When I was a little boy, one of my favorite movies was this movie called Angels in the Outfield. One of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's first films. It's not that spiritual, it's certainly not theological, but I still like it. It's a little boy laying in bed at night, living in a foster care home, just wanting to be with his dad. He's a huge fan of the Anaheim, California Angels. And so he just prays an honest prayer, God, and because his dad told him, you know, if the angels win the pennant, I'll, I'll, I'll come and get you. And he says, all right, if that's what it takes to get my dad back, God. Like, I'm going to start crying about angels in the outfield. Um, God, could the angels win the pennant? Because I want my dad back. And you got to go watch the movie because the whole movie is all of a sudden this terrible, terrible team. All of a sudden, angels start showing up. But it was only the boy who could see the angels. And so he'd be in the dugout. Remember, there was this sign when he saw an angel. He'd start going like this. 
And as he started flapping his arms, it was an indication to the team, angels are on the way. I want to look at some people today that are in pressure, that are dealing with anxiety, that are dealing with depression, and I want to flap my arms just like this saying, hey, I know you're fighting right now, but as you get honest, there's an angel on the way to you. He will come and strengthen you. He will give you the fuel you need to not give up. You got an angel. And he strengthens you. Jesus just gets honest. And this honest prayer brings about this supernatural strength. But it wasn't that Jesus just prayed honestly. The second thing that he does is he prays obediently. It's not just honest prayers, it's, it's obedient prayers. Because Jesus, he, he gets up from that prayer closet, he goes and sees, he sees his friends who are good friends, but in this moment they're weak. And the anxiety and the crisis has put them to sleep. And he commands them, but he goes right back in. The scripture says he prays a second time. Someone say a second time. And as he's been strengthened, notice how similar the prayer is, but notice that there's just a little bit of a difference. Because the second time he prays, he says, if it's not, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, May your will be done. I just like the way he phrases it because it's just a small adjustment, but it shows something changing on the inside. You see his strength appearing. You see a maturity in the prayer. First prayer is honest. God, take this cup. Pray that prayer. Anyone who tells you you can't pray that prayer, they're not being honest. Pray honestly. But at some point as you get honest, you begin to mature in the Lord and there's a slight adjustment. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. As we grow and mature, when you become like Jesus and pray, God, if you're not gonna take it, Lord, please use it. Lord, please use this pressure. Please use this garden. Please use this, this crushing, this anxiety. God, use it for your glory, because it's not my will, it's, it's your will will see that's we could do seminars on prayer but that's prayer prayer is not i believe that faith has has the power to reach heaven but but prayer before it's about changing god is always about changing you 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 don't get to be in control you get to learn how to trust and surrender and so god i i, I want your will not my will. I trust that you are in control. So God, if you're not going to take this away, Lord, would you please use this? The scripture says he makes this small little adjustment. It's not just an honest prayer. It's an obedient prayer that no matter what happens, even if God, I'm following you, I'm choosing to obey you. I want your will in my life. Lord, may that be true of our church. May that be true of my life. Lord, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the storms or the pressure or the anxiety, but Lord, will you use every storm? Will you use every attack? Will you use every pressure? And will you use it for your glory? The Bible says that he goes back to the disciples and they're sleeping again. He wakes them up again, the exact same command. And the Bible says he goes back a third time. I just want you to see the picture because obedience isn't just praying something one time. Obedience is to continue to pray some of you prayed for something for last year it didn't happen you're like that's it that's not I guess I guess it's not. no no no. you have to keep going back Jesus went back three different times it's fascinating because as you study this 
what you'll see is that Jesus, his humanity really is on full display because for 33 years he had one mission, but now with the cross in sight, listen, your calling will always create a cross and your cross will always create a crossroad. Some of you, you came to church today and you're at a crossroads. You have a choice to make. Will you obey in the garden or will you give up and quit? You gonna stay in this marriage? You gonna keep the dream alive? Are you gonna forgive that friend? That's what we preached about last week. Some of you, I made the decision, but oh, we just never connected. No, no, I'm going to obey. There's a crossroads. Gethsemane, that's where Jesus is. It means the oil press. It means the place of crushing, the place of pressing. It's really no mistake whatsoever that right above Gethsemane is the Mount of Olives, where olive trees are. And if you study olives and how they go about making oil, what you'll see is there's three different phases that that olive has to be pressed. And each phase of the pressing, the oil becomes more and more abundant. How many times does Jesus pray in the garden? Three times. Because every time he prays, like an olive, he's in the place of pressing. It's the crushing that's coming down on him that's producing the oil of his life. In May, I'm gonna talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And one of the signs and symbols of the Holy Spirit is oil. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, guess what happens? You will receive power. Pressing produces power. Pressing produces power. Pressing produces power. Your calling will crush you. Being a man of God is going to crush you. Being a woman of God is going to crush you. Doing the right thing will crush you. Living a life of integrity will crush you. Forgiving people who've hurt you will crush you. Choosing peace in the midst of anxiety will crush you. Because there's always a cross to carry. And every time that cross shows up, there's crossroads and we have to make a choice, men and women. I love Jesus because here he is being pressed, but the oil's coming forth from his life. And that oil and that pressing's producing a power, a supernatural power that he might go to the place of cross, that he might lay down his life, that you and I might find freedom. And I love it how the scripture says, it says that Judas and the mob, they finally approach with swords and clubs and the battle of Gethsemane is coming to a climax. But notice that Jesus, he does not say, farewell friends, I leave you, goodbye, stay asleep in the garden, you failed. No, friends, Matthew 24, verse 46, he declares, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want to make an impact in the world? Jesus taught you in Gethsemane how to fight. And the sermon, as it comes to a close, does not end with farewell, Vu Church, but rather it comes to a climax where we say, rise, let us go and face the day at hand. For we do not control tomorrow, but we have today. I don't care how many times you've fallen, rise, let us go and face the day. I know it's uncertain times. I was talking to the staff on Monday, it's uncertain. 
I don't know what's all gonna happen. I'm just like you. I have the same concerns as you. It feels strange, it feels odd. I, I don't know, I don't have all the answers. I can't solve all the problems. I don't understand AI. I it just, I, I know it's uncertain. Sometimes, sometimes I go, God, are you sure? Like, are you sure you got the right people here right now? Like this would be a good time for the prophet Elijah to be here. This would be a great time for the apostle Paul to be on the earth. Man, I was, where is Martin Luther leading a reformation? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers. I, this is like a great time. C.S. Lewis, like you should be here now, bro. But our God who's sovereign and our God who's perfect says, no, no one else is coming. I have placed you and I've formed you and I've fashioned you for this moment today. No one else is coming. I chose you. I picked you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the right dad for those kids. You're the right boss at that job. You're the right student at that school. Rich, you're the right pastor for the city of Miami. Vu Church, you are the perfect, perfect picture of what I want on the earth right now. So we don't control tomorrow, but we can stand today and we can rise and say, let us face the day. Let us face the troubles that await us. Watch and pray. Honestly and obediently, you can stand to your feet at all of our locations. Honestly and obediently. Honestly and obediently. Honestly and obediently. God gets anxiety. Just so we all understand it, I am not for one second suggesting that God gets anxious. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not worried about tomorrow. He's not afraid. God doesn't get anxious, but God gets anxiety. He understands it. He faced it. But the best news of all is he overcame it. And he looks at you and I on this Sunday. It's not just another Sunday, friends. This is another week for us to rise up and face the day. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have pressure. Anxiety will come your way. The enemy will try to tempt you and lie to you. But take heart. Someone say, take heart. But take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. I've faced your anxiety and I've overcome it and I've blazed the trail that you might follow suit. Come on, if you believe it, would you just go ahead and give God some praise all over this house? Hallelujah. Would you just lift your hands right where you are? God, I thank you today for people in this room. God, right here at our South Miami location, those watching at DD, those participating in the city, even those online. Lord, today we don't just want to get hyped up. Lord, we want a real hope. We want real practical answers. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have forged a path forward, that you are the trail worker, that you went out into the unknown and you cut out of the darkness a path of light. And Lord, we today, from our own gardens, from our own battles, we, we step into that light. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that watches and prays, that we'd fight with both of our hands. 
Lord, I pray that we would pray like you prayed, honestly and obediently. God, you know some of the challenges that our church is facing right now. You know some of the obstacles, some of the opposition. Lord, would you take them away? God, would you give us favor in this city? Lord, we're trying to build a building right here in South Miami. Lord, we don't need any more obstacles. Can you just give us favor with, with the city and with the government? But God, if we have to walk through that opposition and we have to face the pain and we have to face the trials, Lord, I, I, I pray that we would do so for your glory. That Lord, your will would be done in our church. That your will would be done in our lives. God, I pray for people today that are overwhelmed with pressure, overwhelmed with stress. Lord, today, may they hear from their pastor, it's not a bear. Maybe just maybe it's ants in your brain that are trying to get you to gain control about an area that you never could have control in. So why not release and surrender and find the peace that you're looking for? It's not peace for tomorrow, it's peace for today. God, thank you that you understand what I'm up against. Thank you that you know about my pressures and my worries. Thank you that you walk closely to me. Lord, minister now to your people. Minister now. Angels, come and strengthen us. You got an angel with you. You got an angel with you. There's an angel in your home. There's an angel on your car ride home. There's an angel at your office. There's an angel in your marriage. He will strengthen you with a supernatural supply. The apostle Paul prayed three times, Lord, could you take this thorn? Could you take this thorn? Could you take this thorn? If you're not going to take it, then use it. And it was the thorn in his flesh that prevented the pride from destroying him. And many times, so it is with us. But we keep praying honestly and obediently. Just right there at your chair right now, would you just pray an honest prayer? Just pray an honest prayer. Just pray an honest prayer. Just pray an honest prayer. We don't just pray on Sundays. We pray on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We don't just pray... Every once in a while, we, we, we make it a habit. Just pray an honest prayer right now. What do you need? What's stressing you out? He's Christ in crisis. Can you feel the strength of heaven today? Can you just allow heaven and the wind of the Spirit right now just to flow through you? Redefine and rearrange some of your priorities. May the peace of God, the one who overcame this world, the one who's not afraid, He's not anxious. Receive his peace. And now pray an obedient prayer. God, I want your will. Can you just pray that? I want your will. I want your will. I don't want popularity. I want your will. I don't want wealth. I want your will. I don't want influence. I want your will. I don't want to be liked by human beings. I want your will. I don't need to be successful. I, I, I need your will will in my life. I make myself available. If I got to endure in this garden, so be it. But may I rise up and face the day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, 
We believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com slash online. We love you.